All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about what's going on in Ukraine and what is apparently developing in Bakhmut. Uh, there are reports um, that Ukraine is preparing some sort of offensive. Um, can't confirm this 100%, but these are the reports that a lot of uh, channels are, are talking about on both, on both sides, Russia and Ukraine, something of around... 50 to 60,000 of Ukraine's best troops are preparing to break through the uh, the cauldron that uh, has been set in uh, Bakhmut. What uh, what do you make of these reports? I think I I think that the possibility of a Ukrainian counterattack to to try to break the cauldron is a very real one. I know the Russians take it extremely seriously. And there's also reports, by the way, that Russian forces are now moving into the area fast. And over the last few hours, it ought to be said that we've seen more evidence of Russian gains in the area. They've apparently now advancing into the um, Atsom factory in Bakhmut itself. They're advancing on a place called Blagodatnoye. So the fighting in and around Bakhmut is intensifying, continues, and the Russians continue to advance. But it looks as if Ukraine is now tripling, quadrupling down on holding Bakhmut. And I think this demolishes any idea that for Ukraine, Bakhmut is an unimportant, strategically irrelevant, symbolic place. The Ukrainians clearly consider it to be part of their own defence lines, and they're now concentrating some of their best troops, apparently, to, to attack there. Now, I will say, it was said to be 20 brigades... There have been many reports over many weeks, recent weeks, that there were already 20 brigades in that area. So, you know, this is perhaps a reshuffling of units. But in terms of the total number of Ukrainian military formations in the area, this is not actually an increase. And I think that's one point I would make. People say 50,000 to 60,000 men. That assumes that these brigades are up to strength. And what I'm hearing is that currently Ukrainian brigades are not up to strength. So perhaps rather than fifty to 60,000 men, we could be looking at perhaps 30,000, still a considerable force. What we don't know is the size of the force on the other side. I am fairly sure, this is my own guess, my own view, that this is precisely what the Russians expected. And I think it's possibly what the Russians planned for and wanted. Because what they want, what they what this makes it even look even more like is that the Russians could be tempted to allow the Ukrainians to advance. And you know, you've got these two pincers out there, and that could create an even bigger cauldron. Than we than the one we have, uh, we have already. But we you know we have to wait and see, and we have to see how it develops and what tactics the Ukrainians use. But note one very important thing: NATO, the U.S. don't seem to favour this policy. Stoltenberg said that Bakhmut would fall in a few days. That seems to be the NATO position. That seems to be what they would prefer to see. The Americans, for their part, seem to have decided that 
fighting for Bakhmut is a waste of resources. They must be very worried that Ukraine is expending more of its best troops trying to hold on to Bakhmut, and the effect of doing this is weakening the prospects of Ukraine's much-talked-about spring offensive. And there was an article in the Financial Times, which I've discussed in my most recent video, um, which basically said exactly the same thing, that Ukraine is over-committing itself now to the defence of Bakhmut. It's to the point where it's now compromising its entire ability to continue the war. If, uh, if this does happen, if this is true, and we do get this type of, uh, of, an, events, of, of an offensive to try and break through this, uh, this cauldron in Bakhmut, and these are indeed the, uh, the elite of, uh, of Ukraine's military, what does it mean if Ukraine succeeds for Russia? What does it mean for Russia if Ukraine succeeds? And what does it mean if Ukraine is defeated? 30, 40, 50,000, even 20,000 of their best fighters uh, if they're defeated. What's, what happens to either side? Well, it's a big blow for Russia. It's a big morale and psychological blow for Russia. But we've seen that the Russians can come back from things like this. They did it over Kharkov. They did it over Kherson. They can come back, and they will. And, um, you know, I, I, even if it succeeds, Ukraine will suffer more losses expended more of its troops. From a Russian point of view, even you know, a successful counter-attack which Ukraine launches, it's not a disaster. For Ukraine, if this fails, it is a disaster. I mean, not just a disaster. It, it, it begins to look existential. For the Russians, as I said, they can absorb a setback like that. It would be a severe setback. There would be recriminations. There would be a lot of anger. But as I said, they will come back. For Ukraine, a failure here would be, well, I'm not going to say terminal, but it would be a massive blow. And I wonder whether Zelensky's government um, might not risk destabilization. So the risks are not equal. That... Right. Do you think that this may be uh, a bluff? Do you think that uh, this is maybe like false reporting, perhaps the Ukraine military is not planning an offensive, perhaps they are going to take uh, some of NATO commanders' advice, because I still believe that there are NATO commanders and U.S. commanders that want Ukraine to try and break through Bakhmut. That's my own yes. belief, but there's probably other people in the command yeah. that would like them to fall back and and build defenses yeah. further, further back. Um, do you think come next week we're going to see this this offensive towards Bakhmut um, cancelled and fall back to, to a different defensive line? It is not impossible at all, and nobody really knows. Now, um, a Russian official, uh, a man called Marochko, who is a um, retired lieutenant colonel in the Lugansk militia, and has become an important commentator about the war, he says that the, Russian, the Ukrainian positions could be interpreted both as offensive or as defensive. It may be that the Ukrainians are coming round to acceptance of the fact that Bakhmut may indeed fall. And what they need to do 
is that they need to build up defences, build up forces rapidly in order to prevent a further rapid Russian advance towards um, Kramatorsk, which would be the last remaining city between the Russians and the Dnieper. So that, it may be that, you know, I, I personally think they will try an offensive, but it could be a defensive response. We don't, we don't fully know. One thing that's happened today, by the way, which might suggest that the Ukrainians do think that Bakhmut's fall is inevitable, is that they've blown up a monument to a MiG-17 MiG monument in Bakhmut. Now, that monument had become very much a symbol in Ukraine of Bakhmut. It was, you know, Ukrainian troops went to Bakhmut. They were all photographed there. It was festooned with Ukrainian flags. It become a symbol of Ukraine and of Bakhmut. And the fact that they've blown it up suggests to me that despite everything, despite these troop movements, despite all of that, they don't really expect to be able to hold on to this town. So, you know, that might be, I mean, it's a symbolic thing, we can't be sure, but it does perhaps point to, um, you know, an attempt to create a new defence line rather than an attempt to conduct an offensive. Yeah, true. Uh, but, but in closing, Shoigu did say that the fall of Bakhmut would lead to to Russia uh, being able to, to advance further uh, west, should it want. And then you had the Alensky interview with CNN, with Wolf Blitzer, where he said that the fall of Bakhmut would give Russia an open road. That's the words that he used, an open road to, uh, to, the, rest of, to the rest of you, Ukraine. So... Yeah, I know. It's hard to, I, which, it's hard is, to call we, this one, but... Uh, it's hard to call this yeah. one, but but I, I, if I have to say what I think, I mean, when you hear comments like that, both from Shoigu and Zelensky, it looks as if Bakhmut is, is, is key, something, by the way, which we have been saying on the Durand right back to the summer. And given its importance, if, if you accept the logic of what both Shoigu and Zelensky is saying then it seems to me that a Ukrainian counterattack to try to break through and relieve Bakhmut becomes logical. <laughs> because um, if it's that important, if the entire Ukrainian defence position in Donbass starts to collapse if Bakhmut falls, if it opens the way not just for the Russians to trundle onto Kramatorsk, but ultimately to the Dnieper as well. Well, you know then that seems to me to point to the need to hold on to Bakhmut, accepting all the enormous losses that Ukraine has suffered up to this point. And that means committing your best troops to conduct a counteroffensive. Now, can I just say, of course, these best troops that we're talking about, they're not yet equipped to any great extent with any of this new Western equipment, so they'll be short of tanks, short of infantry fighting vehicles, very short of artillery. Um, the, the artillery situation for Ukraine is becoming critical. Uh, the defense minister, Reznikov, said that he needed, um, he needed U the European Union to supply him with 250,000 rounds of 155 millimeter ammunition every month. The European Union only produces 5 
thousand rounds of ammunition, that kind of ammunition, every month. So they can't do it. So, you know, you would be looking at throwing into battle some of your best troops, apparently, but they're presumably under-equipped, um, and they would be heading, one suspects, straight into the Russian guns. But if, if it is as important to you as that, if Bakhmut is so important, then I can't see how you can avoid doing it. The only alternative would be to sit down and talk peace. And as we've seen, Ukraine is not ready for that. One final question. What do you make of all the the talk that uh, that uh, Wagner has uh, is in a strategic pause because of, of infighting between Prigozhin and the military? There's that rumor going around. Do you buy into any of that? Because it runs counter to the reports that Wagner is actually moving very quickly inside Bakhmut. And I think there are confirmed reports that they've now entered the the area of the um the the meat processing plant a huge yeah, a huge industrial absolutely. area yeah, so absolutely. i'm just trying to figure out which on the one hand you have people saying that because of all this infighting and jealousies there's a strategic pause and then on the on the other hand you have confirmed reports that wagner is moving very quickly inside the city and now they're inside of this massive industrial meat processing center i mean there's no strategic pause i mean i again I, I i hear all of these claims but where's the evidence for them on the ground i mean yesterday was it the day before yesterday yesterday we heard that uh, another important village to the north of bakhmut had been captured by the wagner forces today we're getting reports that they're closing in on another place called blago Noye. we hear that they're as you right, rightly say in the meat processing plant which is this huge plant if you look at maps of bakhmut you realise that if the Wagner forces capture this plant, in effect, they've captured Bachmann. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's such a big position that what is left really isn't, def- isn't sustainable in any form anymore. So um, I-, I see no sign at all of a strategic pause. Every so often, as I said, you know, there's an ebb and flow in the fighting. Because, you know, when Wagner repositions some of its troops to capture one place, they perhaps pull them back a little in another. And, you know, you have uh, re-equipment, you have to send more ammunition through, and that's always complicated. So, you know, there's, there's ebbs and flows and pauses. That's true in every battle. But if you're talking about an actual long operational pause i see no sign of this at all and i mean i don't know what people are talking about when they're talking in this way but again i think they're reading too much into what prigozhin is saying prigozhin is a as a an, an fascinating personality but can i also repeat a point i've made before he is not the commander the actual commander of the wagner forces on the ground he is not a He's not been trained. He's not served in the Russian army. He's not a trained officer. He has no command history. He has no record of commanding troops in battle. The actual commanders of the Wagner forces are completely different people, who by definition must have been called in from the Russian military to lead the Wagner 
groups in the way that they are currently doing. So, obviously, Prigozhin wants his troops to be well-equipped. He wants them to be better equipped than anyone else in the Russian military. He is very proud of this organisation. That comes through very much in what he says. He has, he's obviously a fiery personality. He's got some kind of feud against Shoigu, in particular, in my senses. But as I said, I don't think you should read too much into any of that. We will leave it there, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rumble. We are on Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.